Welcome to the Lead Me On podcast, where we give you practical solutions for extraordinary leadership. My name is Lori King-Taylor, and I'm here with my co-host, Lori Gorell. For more than 25 years, we've been educating and coaching individuals who want to transform the way they lead. Join us each week as we provide inspiring conversations to help you increase your capability to lead with greater impact and influence. Get ready. It's time to lead me on. Hello, Lori King-Taylor. Hello, Lori Gorell. How are you today? I am fantastic. And how are you? I am quite wonderful myself, and I am so excited to be here with you again today. It's indeed a pleasure, and I hate the weeks that we don't see each other. But what I recognize today is that there are different volumes of fantastic for me. (laughs) Yesterday, it was a very loud fantastic. The sun was shining, and it was amazing, and it was so joyful. Because these these gray, cloudy days really get to me. And yet today, I am fantastic in a gray, cloudy day kind of way. And it's still fantastic, but it has a different volume. Oh, I get that. You know, it's still fantastic because you woke up this morning, right? <laughs> On the right side of the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You woke up this morning. You have two legs that carried you um, through your house. You have eyes that see and ears that hear and lungs that breathe. And sometimes when we are not having our best selves, we have to look at what we can be grateful for. And today I visualized literally being able to pull the clouds apart and see the sun that I know is shining above them. (laughs) I know it because when I fly, I see it. (laughs) It's there. It's there. <laughs> it is there. <laughs> well, I am excited about what we have to talk about today that you and I kind of had a conversation about why don't we bring some of the questions that we get when we're teaching emotional intelligence to our clients into a podcast. So today we're going to talk about six questions that we have had from our clients when we're teaching emotional intelligence. And I think it's going to be a fun conversation. I think so too, because I I literally wrote them down as I remember them being asked. And it's interesting to look back. So one of the first questions that I wrote down is, how long does it take to increase your emotional intelligence? Well, you're leading off with a biggie. (laughs) Well, let's just, you know. Let's just get it out there. Let's just get it out there. So then you can just pay attention to everything else <laughs> later, because we're going to answer this question right up front. And, and I love that. And I think about the personalities and, and I'm very much like this, you know, give me a date, you know, how long does this take? By when will I be better? Uh, you know, this is going to take, it's like, you know, I'm in school right now. Right. And so we have all these weeks and all these assignments and I'm that one that likes to check off. And so like, I just checked off my last assignment for the semester in one of my classes. So done. So my students, a lot of my students want to know, okay, will I be better in three days? You know, how, Uh how, let me put it in my calendar. How long is this going to take for me to be able to increase my emotional intelligence? 
And I have a couple of answers for them uh, in that. One answer is, well, most likely you're going to increase your emotional intelligence just by being in this class today. So when you leave, you will have a level of increase of EQ because it starts with awareness. So after being in the class all day, you have a whole new awareness about emotional intelligence than you did before. You have a better understanding of emotional intelligence. And so therefore your awareness is going to be higher. So it could be as easy as this afternoon. But when it comes to making a significant change in your emotional intelligence, not everybody likes my answer. (laughs) Okay, lay it on us. It depends. I hate that answer. (laughs) I hate that answer too. (laughs) But it is the absolute correct answer for this question. It is because emotional intelligence takes work. It's not something that happens overnight. And I have clients now, I love a lot of my, most of my clients I work with, we do training and then I work with them one-on-one after the training to help them put together a professional development plan on three goals things that they're going to work on over the next six months to increase their emotional intelligence. And what depends is the work that you're willing to put in to your side of it, to your homework. If you go to class and you meet with me, yeah, you should see some increase in emotional intelligence, but if you don't do anything else for the next six months, Chances are you could slide the other direction or stay put, but you're not going to see a significant increase in your EQ. You have to put the work into it. And and speaking of sliding backward, I I think that comes a lot from now that they're more self-aware, they actually assess themselves a little bit more keenly. And sometimes there is that little slip backwards, but it's coming from a different perspective. So I usually don't panic, but you are so right. If that's all they're going to do. And and I had, I shared with you a recent conversation with a client and, and they assumed that their time with me was their development time and that the magic will happen in our 60 to 90 minutes. And yet I had to talk about the rewiring. It takes Time. We are unlearning behaviors. We are relearning. We're integrating and it making it become part of our DNA. And that's a significant process. It is. If you think about it, has taken you all your life to get where you are today. So you've programmed yourself a certain way for the years that you've been in business, for the years that you've been alive. So to think that you're going to be able to make significant changes overnight is setting yourself up for failure. So if you truly want to increase your emotional intelligence, be willing to put in the work. Yeah. And I like that you, with your clients, you use three goals over the six months. So there is a focus period and they're not looking at, and in my case, I use a tool that has 15 scales. 
and that somebody's not looking at how to raise the bar on 15 different scales. Though, And the way that I bring it to my clients is they focus on one thing for two weeks, trying these three things, and then they reassess. And do they need to stay with that particular path or do they want to move on? So very similar, very concentrated effort to get something to be ingrained in your, in your habits and your behaviors. Yeah. It's kind of like dieting, right? (laughs) I don't want to go there. If if dieting had an, an EQ measurement, I would fail. But we, you know, it takes us forever. You know, it takes a long time. We didn't gain the 20 pounds overnight. I don't know why. Yes, I did. (laughs) I don't know why we think we're going to lose it overnight. And emotional intelligence is the same way. You know, we've we've programmed ourselves over a length of time, and now it's going to take a length of time to rewire your brains. It does. So, you know, that that is a completely valid question. And I'm glad we kicked it off with that because I think we we were able to express a lot just in answering that question from the classroom. So I use a 360 version occasionally, and especially with my leaders of the emotional intelligence assessment. And what it is, is you answer and you have raters that answer on your behalf, people who are willing to support you and courageously answer the exact same questions. And I do this for, for especially with leaders, because if you're the only one answering, which is a tool that I use, right? If you're the only one answering, that's the data we have to work with. And we're going to go from there. But if you're in the leadership position, we really need to get the perspective of the people you're leading and your peers and really look at where the gaps might be. So when I do a, a 360, I mentioned gaps, there is there are often gaps between how you see yourself and how someone else sees you. Yeah. And it's not always that you see yourself better than your raters see you. Oftentimes it can be absolutely opposite. You see yourself as lacking far more than your, your raters see you. But the question that comes up is why is my self-score so different than my rater scores? And there are several things that go into that. And the, the thing I like about the tool in many 360s, they categorize your raters between is it your manager, is it your direct reports, your peers, or some mushy, mushy category of other people, so that you're really getting a perspective of how these other groups see you. So I had a a recent client where his direct reports consistently saw him as higher in EQ than he saw himself. And the peers were in the middle, right, between where he saw himself and where the direct report saw him. And so that was because it comes up frequently. Why are these scores different? There are obviously going to be blind spots for someone and they can be blind spots to the the positive or to the deficit. And this, these tools are a great way to identify what should I need to, what should I work on? You know, is it, is it my empathy or my relationship skills or my problem solving skills? Where do I I need to focus? Cause I'm seeing we're different here, but I find another 
reason. And this really just came up for me. And it was because what I saw is a big gap between the rater and my client. And I actually went to the rater because it was the manager and asked the question. And I said, tell me about your standards. What is your baseline? And we talked through what some of the questions might be. The gap really came from the very high standards of the manager because it was complete opposite of how the direct reports and peers saw this person. So that can be another reason that there is a gap, but that should be evaluated, right? That's not always going to be the case. That was really for me to look and see why this big gap was occurring in certain areas. And so I went researching to find out more. Yeah. I think another reason that you will see gaps between your raters and how your raters see you differently is your relationship with those different groups Mm -hmm. that you, you mentioned empathy. You may be extremely empathetic with your peers and maybe not as empathetic with your direct reports or your communication skills may be much better with your boss than it is with your peers. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of it has to do with your interaction with the different peer groups too, which is one thing I think is wonderful about a 360 is that you can see where you may need to put a little more effort in to your relationship with that particular group of individuals. It could be come in with any one of the groups or all of them. Right. Yeah. You could be like, my people love me. My people think that I am <laughs> awesome. Why and they the may. Heck, why the heck do my peers not see me the same way that my people do? And it's because your relationship with your people is very different than your relationship with your peers. And so you need to work on your relationship with your peers in some areas. You know, we can become very protective of our group, right? We live in our silos. And so we're, we're in those meetings with our peers. We're trying to protect, we're mother henning, you know, our people. And so what we say, how we say things, you know, we come in as the pit bull protecting our people. And so that can sometimes, you know, affect how other people see you and you're completely different with them than you are with your other Raider group. And I think the the one I'll I'll wrap this question up with, as I mentioned, the the last case, the manager's very high standards. And there's also the case of your own high standards and how you assess yourself could be much harsher than how any of the other groups. And I've seen it that way, too, how any of the other groups would assess you on the very same points. So many different reasons that we can look at on why the scores are different, but the the beauty is seeing where the gaps are and where do I need to put my effort. Absolutely. So another question that I have had from the classroom is, can I really change my reaction to situations if I've been this way all my life? Hmm? This is juicy. And 
I can't wait to hear your response. I'm going to let you respond first. Okay. So my response is you absolutely can change your reactions to situations, even though you've been that way all your life, but you have to want to. Yes. That's, that's the key. You have to want to, your boss can't want it for you. Your subordinates can't want it for you. You have to be able to say, okay, what I'm doing is not working for me. What I'm doing is not working for the people around me. And I need to make the change and be willing to put in the effort to do it. And it comes down to, we have to rewire your brain because you have wired it one particular way. You have have a certain response to situations and you've trained your brain to do that. It's it's a lot like the muscle memory. You know, I, I joke around about Amy when information enters your brain, it goes to Amy and Amy's like, what are we going to do with this? And she asks your hippocampus where your long-term memories are stored. What are we going to do about this? And the hippocampus says, well, this is what we always do in this situation. So on all of that happens very immediately. So you can, you just have to break the cycle. You have to practice pattern interruption and, and break that cycle and know what you're going to tell Amy to do differently in the future. And I think that brings up a, a big point there of self-awareness, because can you change your reaction when you've always done it? Well, it's knowing that that particular reaction no longer works. You have to identify that gap first. So yes, you can change how you react, but do you know when you are having that reaction and you often need people around you to support you in learning that. So that would be part of my answer if somebody was asking me that question. The other part, and you touched on it, and that is the willing. Mm-hmm. Can I change my reaction? Because this is the way I've always behaved. My answer is only if you are willing to change your reaction. And, you know, willing means are in your, in your heart and your brain. Are you willing to make that change? Are you willing to see it? Are you willing to ask for the help? Are you willing to see that it's not working for you? So my my key part of answering that question is all about the willingness to change your reaction. Yeah, you have to be willing. But I, I like what you touched on as the awareness too, because I can remember very early in my career, you know, I'm very high D, high I person, went through college and grad school very quickly, entered into a career in a management position right out of school, the only female, way younger than anybody else. But I went in with this, you know, very strong attitude. And I wish I can look back now and look at my early career. And and sometimes I cringe (laughs) because I'm like, why didn't somebody tell me, you know, to take me aside and say, look, sometimes not everybody wants to hear, you know, your opinion to things, you know, sometimes it's okay to not speak. I was a bull in a China shop, but you know, that's just that personality coming out. And it's just like, I had the best intentions, but not always handled things the right way. And how much easier it would have been for me in those early career days 
if somebody had taken the time to sit with me and mentor me and coach me and instead it was just like what you know I had to learn it on my own and it took years for me to look back and go oh my gosh <laughs> I actually had I recall um, two managers in particular who did support me in that way and let me know when when something was not as good as it could be my reaction my response my behaviors and so speaking to why didn't somebody do it well they did it for me and i remember it and i'm yeah. still eternally grateful for them yeah. doing it so although it might be scary for someone to approach it you could be that positive memory yeah. of someone down the line and saying wow they really supported me to do better to be better yeah i you know and i think about that very first job and and my boss i had known him before i came on the organization and i adored him he was like a father figure to me when i left the organization i did not leave with great relationships intact i left angry you know and we've had a podcast about burning bridges and leaving yeah. in a storm yeah and i i didn't you know I don't, I don't think I burned the bridge, but I, I did leave the organization and I wished that someone had been able to get me before that point that, that my mentor, the guy that I looked up to and adored had been able to say, okay, this is why you're having a rough time. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I look, like I said, I look back and it's like, man, you know, things could have gone better, faster, had somebody invested because there was no awareness, right? I think that's another shout out for being open to a 360 tool and allowing others to weigh in. Because for one of my clients, it's the 360 and the pulse feedback that I request from her supporters on a monthly basis to say, Here's the areas where they are looking to improve. How are they doing so that people can continue to, to weigh in and bring awareness for this person? Then it's up to that person to be willing to, to do anything with it or not. Yeah, absolutely. So can you change your reactions to situations if you've been that way all your life? It absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. If you put the work into it. If you put the work into it. Yep. All right. So we've touched on empathy a couple of times and just in passing, and we've done a podcast on it, but question from the classroom that I consistently get, and it's not just from the classroom, it's also from the individual opportunities is why is my empathy scoring so low? Now, it doesn't mean absolutely every person I've ever worked with has scored low in empathy, but it is with leaders, typically in comparison with the other scales, empathy tends to rate lower. And it, I, I see it as a bit of a phenomenon, but it tends to also correlate with scores in emotional awareness and expression, how we express ourselves self-expression. And they, they tend to all kind of go together, but why is empathy rated so low? And there are different circumstances and I can usually point to something specific with a particular client, 
But, you know, perhaps just thinking of your bull in a china shop analogy, you weren't aware that it was low, but some areas to really think about when you're looking at, wow, what's the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? And how do I know if my empathy is lower? Well, it's, are you a team player? Are you thinking about the, where your team is coming from, the opinions of other people, the, why they might be having the response they're having? And when I ask some of those questions out loud, they're like, no, right? It's, you know, they, they haven't taken the time to step back and think about it. And people in executive and leadership positions are also, often on that high drive right? They are off and going. They have things they need to do, people they need to see, right? That they have this high drive and they're typically not stepping back and looking at something. And I always call that the, when I talk about empathy, talking about that as a 360 view and saying, put the situation in the middle and look all the way around it and what might be going on as a way to think about how do I practice or look at empathy? So it's like a mini 360 within the 360. And and I find too, that when I've seen that, sometimes it depends on industry because I have some industry leaders that I work with in particular industries that their empathy is higher. They have very high empathetic Mm -hmm. skills, other other situations, not so much. But I also find in personalities, you know, you'll have some personalities who are tend to be a little, they're more results oriented and the feelings of others get in the way of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when the, the executives that, and I'm not saying every executive rates low in empathy, I'm just saying that that's where this particular question often comes from is that they are in that go, go, go don't slow me down. So they're not, why would they naturally slow down to do that little look around a situation and see where it might be coming from? Oh my gosh, I have to do that. Right. That you're right. It's going to slow me down. And yet I see empathy as the difference maker. Yes. This is to me, the leadership super skill. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I'll tell you what, if, through the pandemic, that didn't come out high on your list, then you really have missed the boat because that the pandemic is one of those situations where the leader, an empathetic leader is really going to rise high Um, because everybody was going through so much and everybody was reacting differently. Everybody had different situations that they were dealing with. And so you really had to use that super skill to touch every one of your team members because everybody was experiencing it differently and were affected by it differently. And you really had to be on your game as a leader. Yeah. I was talking to a client recently and they said something, the empathy came, thing came up and I, and I said, what, how does it play out? Do, Do you even try to avoid hurting people's feelings? And they said, no, things need to get done. They need to hear this. Well, there's a bit of a red flag, right? It doesn't seem, that doesn't seem so bad as I just say that. 
no, I, I, this is how it needs to be done. People will be like, well, yeah, but that's just a, a small example of no, you're not going to rate high on empathy. Yeah. Those are the things that do not register for you if that is a blind spot. So I was teaching productive conflict yesterday. And one of the activities we were going around the room and talking about communication styles. And, you know, one of the ladies got up and was doing her chart. And it's like, you know, sometimes things just need to be said. And it's necessary to say them. And you just have to be blunt. And, you know, and I would. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, pretty much what I was hearing there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Let's talk through that. <laughs> let's look at that. Conflict. <laughs> So one of the, the takeaways I will leave people with is like a bit of a thing to work on is reminding and asking themselves, how are you ensuring that you understand your team's thoughts and perspectives? Love that. And put it somewhere where you're going to see it frequently to bring it back around to remind you, how are you seeing your team's thoughts and perspectives? I love that. I think every leader needs to have that. On the <laughs> you know, and that's just one small, simple way, you know, you can expand and expand and expand on that, but that's just one simple way to keep it top of mind. So another question that I have, uh, I get kind of frequently in my classes is what evidence is there that emotional intelligence really does help build business success? You know, I see this from the people who might be a little reluctant to change and think this is going to be a lot of work. Is there even any evidence that this is going to make it better? And it also comes from my scientific community that I work with a lot. (laughs) Give me the data. Data. What data do you have? (laughs) I don't want to sit here and listen to all this emotional talk if you don't have some numbers for me. So there is strong evidence. There's a lot of research Uh, out that goes, that proves that emotional intelligence helps your business success. And one of the ways that I help them to understand that is I, I have emotional intelligence kind of at the root and I have all of these branches that come out where emotional intelligence um, affects. So change management, relationship management, presentation skills, decision-making, problem-solving, assertiveness, So all of these different things that we deal with on a regular basis in our business and how emotional intelligence affects all of these different areas. And when I'm done with that, I ask them, if your leaders were good in every one of these areas, how successful would your company be? And they, it's always a resounding, very successful. There's your evidence. There's, yeah. So yes, I have the research. Yes, I can, I can put research right in front of you, put the data right in front of you, but let's just sit and look at it from your perspective. If your leaders do all this well, and every leader and every person in your organization does all this well, are you going to fail? Right. Or right. Are, you, are you going to far exceed the other organizations around you. Because somebody with emotional intelligence that they've been willing to work on and get better at having responses and problem solving and and all of these things, they're going to take the time to help help other people around them 
do the same and bring other people up with them because that's part of emotional intelligence. And, And I think so many people when they think of emotional intelligence, they think of it as one skill set. But emotional intelligence is not one skill set. It affects so many different skill sets. And, and when you can look at it in that it's not just one little thing that you can put in a category and put on the shelf, but that you look at how it affects everything you do, then they start to see that. Now, uh, there's another survey, uh, Career Builders did a survey out there that says that 75% of employers say they are more likely to promote a worker with high emotional intelligence, 75%. But when you look at, again, that tree that I have, the, the plant with all the different branches, and I'm like, if you're successful in all these different areas, how likely is it you're going to be promoted? And it's, it's high likely, but the research will tell you it's about 75% of employers are looking for that. Right. Yeah. Cause you can get people with skills, technical skills. So the difference maker is the EQ. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, and I love to tell my people, you know, there are certain skill, there are certain places where you, you need very distinct set of skills. But I tell them when you go to the hiring, you hire for attitude, you hire for what they can do around those skill sets, because there's a lot of skills that can be taught. So it's harder to change the attitude than it is to change the skill set. So Lori King Taylor. Yes. This has been a great questions from the classroom session. I think we should do more of these. Oh, I love this. This was a lot of fun. And, you know, I get excited about it. I don't know if you could tell. No, I I cannot. (laughs) Next time, would you bring your A game? I will. I'm so sorry I wasn't on it today. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll, we'll come up with more. We'll come up with different classroom scenarios, even beyond EQ, and bring more questions from the classroom. And I would love to ask our listeners to reach out to us with the questions that you have that you would want answered on this. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Yes. Let's so, so email us Lori at upwardsolutionscc.com or Lori at Trinity performance solutions.com. Let us know what are some questions that you have. We would love to answer on the podcast for you. That's going to be fun. All right. Thank you, Lori King Taylor. Thank you, Lori Gurrell. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. If you're interested in knowing more about our upcoming events or working with one of us personally to transform the way you lead, visit our websites. For Lori King-Taylor, visit trinityperformancesolutions.com. And for Lori Gurrell, visit Upward solutionscc.com. Until next week.